Hey guys, it's Sham. And you're probably already confused because Jen is usually the first one to speak. But not today. Unfortunately, Jen could not be here for the intro part of the episode. But don't worry, she's in the, the main meat of the episode. And she really wanted to be here for the intro part of the episode. But she had some family stuff to deal with and realized that would have been too much work for her to get here on time and try to get the episode out. And so I decided I'd be a good co-host and I'd take care of it. Because you're going to hear a lot of Jen once you get the episode proper. So I'll try to get through this little intro bit as quickly as possible so you can get all of that lovely Jen that you want so much. But before we get to all of that goodness, you know i got to talk to you about our friends over at altplayground.net. Now, they would like you to know that they are much more than just a swinger site. They've got resources and users from all walks of non-monogamy. And they are striving to be a true community for all sex-positive people. So whether you're polyamorous, shout out, shout out, in an open relationship, or simply wanting to explore your sexuality, you'll find like-minded people at altplayground.net. And best yet, it's growing like crazy, so every day there's more and more people just like you, trying to find people just like you. So what are you waiting for? Get on there and find people. People like us, we have our own community there. You can check us out. They've got a little podcast corner where you can come see us, you can join a little group, you can see pictures of Jen, mostly, not much pictures of me, but lots of Jen, and talk to us about the episodes, and see the episode, listen to the episode there. It's great. So check us out over at allplayground.net. Wow, this is so hard without Jen. Alright, well, I guess there's nothing left to do other than say I'm... No, I can't do this by myself. Hold on, I'm going to cheat the system here. One sec. And I guess there's nothing left to do but say... I'm Jen. I'm Sham. And... And... We're monogamous. We're monogamous. Wow. You want to cheat the system? So today on the podcast, we have the wonderful Dr. Clark. Now, Dr. Clark is a sexologist, a therapist, a sex educator, and likes to use the title the Jamaican Sexosopher, which of course is very relevant to us because we're Jamaicans and we like to talk about sex. They've got like three degrees, PhDs, I don't even know. We, we cover this all in the podcast. We're going to get you to that real, real quick. It's a wonderful chat. It's very... Hedy, it's like very intellectual, but also very philosophical and spiritual. It, it goes all over the place. It, it's very deep. Like, you're going to go on a trip. You know, hit a blunt before you take this one. <laughs> Jen's going to be mad I said that. But anyways, it's a fun time. I enjoyed it, but also I learned a whole lot. So tune in for Dr. Clark. So Dr. Clark is here. We're talking about super important academic stuff, trying to pretend that Sham and I are way smarter than we actually are, but we're okay with that. We have erotic intelligence that guide guides you with your embodied wisdom. You got you got it. There's oh, ancestral wisdom in our DNA that can be activated at any moment. So it's not nothing, there's nothing lacking in there. It's just waiting to ignite. 
See, you hear that, guys? Everyone now knows that Dr. Clark thinks that we are just waiting to ignite, and it's not just a pervy thing. So we are <laughs> on board with that. <laughs> but thank you so much for agreeing to come and talk to us on the podcast. And, you know, we do this thing where we ask people to introduce themselves in 30 seconds or less. That's not time. So you can go for 30 seconds or three minutes or whatever time pops up. So we allow you to introduce yourself. We, of course, do the introduction before, you know, the show even officially starts. But if you have a way that you would like to introduce yourself that we cannot do, we also appreciate it if you do that. So tell us everything about you that you can tell in 30 (laughs) seconds. That's not timed. Go. I am Dr. Zaleka Sumitra Hepworth Clark Carnegie, also known as Dr. Zell or Dr. Clark. I'm the first American with three degrees in human sexuality from accredited universities in the United States. And I co-founded a decolonizing sexualities study program at Goddard College in Vermont that I'm very excited about um, because we just graduated our first set of students. I co-founded that with um, Dr. Haruka T. And um, we also created a um, decolonial SARS. SARS are um, sexual attitude reassessment and restructuring um, sexuality training programs that a lot of um, sexologists and um, certified sex educators will be required to meet at some point. Um, Let's see. So um, I have my master's in social work and my master's in education of human sexuality, as well as my PhD in human sexuality. And I specialize in African eroticism um, and uh, oh, so many things. I consider myself a loveologist and an eroticologist. And um, my area, my research method that I specialize in is uh, called decolonizing autoethnography. And uh, basically, that's a fancy way of uh, studying the self and being aware of um, cultural and culture as well, like myself and in culture. And I did my doctoral dissertation study in Brazil. And um, I was looking at um, non-patriarchal mentalities and as it relates to gender and sexuality and um Ooh, okay. I that's probably way over 30 seconds, but I am committed to black liberation and erotic sovereignty and sexual justice and um pleasure. Okay, so there were a lot of words that you put out there for the fans of the podcast and we appreciate you talking about And she all said of them in such things. a lovely way. Oh, but listen, that, yeah, that, yeah. the voice, the levels, everything about that was just fucking amazing. So now you know that Dr. Clark has the sexiest voice out of all of our guests. And that that also includes us. We do not have sexy voices, Dr. Clark does. So let's just put that out there. Well, sexiness can be subjective. And what's sexy for one person may be not sexy for another person. So... To each his own. Um, I'm a sexologist by training, 
a clinical sexologist, so I um, actually practice um, sex therapy right now in my own private practice, and I just joined um, two really awesome group uh, practices and provide therapeutic services as well as um, educational consulting, and I'm still teaching, so... Yeah, but yeah, I I like there's certain words that I really like using and um yeah, like I'm the Jamaican sexosopher. I study the philosophy of human sexuality and um I really have been inspired by African epistemology, which is a fancy way of saying um knowledge, sexual knowledge and how it's transmitted in um different yeah, how we understand what we understand kind of thing. Um, oh, yeah, I feel yeah. that. Okay, how we understand what we understand. That that definitely narrows it down for me. Yeah, it's just like... I feel bad for either Jen or the listeners, because either Jen is going to have to figure out a way to put all these words in the show notes, or the listeners are just going to be confused because Jen is probably not going to do it. No. So just like drop in, just drop in bombs every five seconds. No, like, no, no. I'm going to put all this in the show notes. I'm going to put all these things in there. I'm going to put the definitions in there as well. Uh-huh. I'm going I got to a working glossary going on, so I can I can help you out with with some of these. And if there's See? any words, any words that you want more, learn more about, you can just let, ask me. Listen, you see, I mean, I'm going to ask you to say them again. Because they <laughs> sounded so nice the first time. Listen, I want to let you guys know, Dr. Clark, there, there, there is a tenderness betwixt my thighs right now that is just for Dr. Clark's voice. And I just want to clarify <laughs> that before we get any deeper. Ooh, so later on, so later on, when I feel a little, you know, excited, you guys know uh-huh. why this is happening. I just want to say now that Dr. Clark's voice is making me happy betwixt many places. Yeah, I I appreciate your um, embodied awareness of the pleasures that can be derived through sound. So shout out those who um, can experience eargasms. See here that now that that was just a tease for me. I felt that was a that was an on purpose tease. So as a result of that, I'm gonna have to try to direct this conversation in a different direction so that I don't embarrass myself on this call for anyone Good else. Look that. <laughs> right. So I the first question that we want to ask you is what made you interested in the work of human sexuality and the philosophy of human sexuality? Like why? I mean, obviously, we are interested in that, hence why we have this podcast. But for you to achieve this on a sincerely amazing academic level that we definitely have not gotten to, what made you so interested in the work of human sexuality? Um, I'd like to acknowledge the privilege that I had and the freedom of exploring my intellectual curiosity. So I find that um, I was given freedoms. My mother um, allowed me to follow my intellectual curiosity. She said, you know, like she took me into Barnes and Noble for my birthday and was like, you could get any book you want. You know, like it was like shopping spree at a bookstore. So 
was like, all right, try to like, really, I was like, oh my goodness, what book am I going to get, you know? And I kind of like those, that self-help section. I like the, you know, I like those books on, on human sexuality. Those were the ones that I was most drawn towards. And, um, yeah, so even like when I went to college, I, I mean, I went to NYU and they did have, um, gender and sexuality studies as a major. And that was the most interesting major for me, but I still tried to do like psychology and anthropology and history. And I loved the social sciences. And, um, but within all those subjects, my favorite classes were about sexuality. So like the anthropology of sexuality or the, um, the, um, psychology I liked um psychosexual behavior and you know the history of gender and sexuality so like my mo you know even when I would go into other fields it would bring me back to um sexuality studies which is quite interdisciplinary anyway um and yeah I just um I felt that there was room to contribute I felt like how much more can you learn about math? Probably a lot, but I knew that wasn't my strong point. And I like that there was there was so much unknowns. There was so much um, more to explore and contribute. And I liked how it was um, cutting edge and something that was I was always passionate about. I I was like, okay, you know, I was always thinking about like, how did I get here? You know, who are we? You know, like that was a question that always fascinates me and, and like even pleasure. And like, I think also taboo subjects in general, like what are, what are the things that people are not talking about, but they are interested in about like, those were like all the things that people were whispering about or like, what's all this big deal around certain things. So that always got my attention and I was able to, check it out and explore it. So that's kind of, I just kind of, it just kept, I, I kept finding it or it found me, but I, I just really always liked it. I appreciate yeah. that you had this interest and you just kept finding ways to like feed it, but also like educate yourself in general. Cause you know, you know, if I had an interest in sex and so on, I just kind of Googled it. <laughs> but that's not really getting me anywhere in life. But you kind of use this, this interest and this passion of yours and just made yourself into <laughs> this sexosopher. Oh, I'm going to triple that word. Yeah, yeah. Sexosopher, the Jamaican sexosopher at that. So it's like, so Jamaican is like Jamaican-American. And sexosopher means... What, what would you describe a sexosopher as? Just just so we can have that clearly defined for everyone else. Yeah, I think, you know, simplistically, it's uh, f the philosophy of uh, a philosopher of sex and sexuality and love. Um, and yeah, big up yardies. <laughs> Um, I, I always go, you know, back and forth. And that was something that I really um, that that made me have like this cultural awareness that things were different in different countries. You know, you drive left hand 
side of the road on in this country and the right hand side on in that country and you know lesbians are look like in certain you know there's a different approach to even body size and color like i'm i'm white here i'm black there i mean they're just like different um i picked up on a lot of different messages even like flirting or like um affection or words of affirmation those were all kind of very different when i would jump between um going between jamaica <laughs> um, yeah yeah i feel that definitely the dating culture way different there's a lot of differences and there's some similarities but like i just always like picked up on it and when you get in the in that world it's kind of like the way it is so it kind of can get normalized so but be, by going back and forth all the time i was like hmm like there's some there's something to it so that really kind of really sparked my interest in like cultural constructions of gender and sexuality and like cultural influences on how we understand love and relationships and um sex even too like how people have sex and like what's trending and I don't know Ben um I have to admit I really love dance hall there's something about it that gets my waistline going <laughs> Oh, that's right. You and Momasa are friends. Like you and Lady Saw are friends. That's exactly what's <laughs> happening, right? Is Lady Saw your favorite dancehall artist? Just, just to clarify. I mean, the answer should be yes, but if it's not yes, I will forgive you. Um. Ooh, I don't. I don't need to choose hierarchical. I think everyone offers their own talents. Um. But um, Pop Khan is who I'm. Um. I play him all the time. I have to say. Okay. Right, that's understandable. That that's understandable. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So you were able to explore your curiosity and you know human sexuality through your mother being kind of like, hey, you're at Barnes and Nobles, you get to pick your books. This is fine. <laughs> uh, so what what age did you first come to the U.S. so that you? I mean, because I mean, people say Jamaican. Most people believe that you know the person was born and raised in the in the US so you traveled a lot back and forth between Jamaica and the US so I just wanted to clarify that I was born in Boston um so I was right and I was raised in New York um but I got to go to Jamaica every summer every year from birth so and um yeah so spending a few months every year I kind of got to hang out at in Montego Bay. Oh, yes, and a real, real mix. Yeah, well, that's good that you were able to experience that. And we appreciate the fact that you really dove into this work. So you decided that, you know, you want to learn more about human sexuality, whatever. So when you did your first degree, what made you decide to go for more? Because you, you have three Three degrees from accredited yeah. universities. I was just kind of yeah. like, wow, overachiever much, but also yeah. what what made you want to keep going in this direction? Of course, a thirst for knowledge, I believe, yeah. but also like, wow, you did. I mean, academia is, is hard for other people. Yeah, I can't imagine. Like, I have the one degree and it's like, I never want to go back, <laughs> but big up you for going back. Yeah. Um, 
Wow, yes, you're 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 triggering some things. The academy can be very violent and um it's very whitewashed and, and knowledge production is definitely controlled by certain people in power. Um but yeah, I really got to what was awesome is that I was supported in following my intellectual curiosity, so I was always able to take classes that I loved and really be inspired by amazing scholars and um, you know, I could design at NYU. I designed my own study and I went to Jamaica and I like was looking at gender dynamics and dance hall and, and linguistics and all these things. But anyway, so I finished NYU, um, studying culture, sexuality and oppression. And I wanted to, um, assist uh, women heal from sexual trauma and I was also really passionate about um, child soldiers and particularly like the wives or the sex slaves that got um, involved in supporting the child soldiers during um, conflict times and to help assist them um, transition back into society in um, sub-Saharan Africa. So I went over to um, East Africa and I was like kind of checking out like, I don't know, like how I could kind of help, <laughs> help out, you know, women heal from sexual trauma. And um, they were like, uh, what, what's your credentials? Like what, what makes you think you can help us? And I was like, oh, well, I went to NYU and they didn't even know what that what like it, that didn't mean anything. And I was like, I'm really glad that there was a process in place because I was definitely not qualified to like uh, really assist in deep ways that I wanted to. And I kind of also had that like, I don't know, savior complex going on. Like I'm going to help these people <laughs> and, you know, very limited French and certainly no, um, no, I didn't know any indigenous African language. So I basically, once, once I was told I don't have the right credentials, I was like, that's never, I made this vow, like that's never going to happen to me again. So I was like, all right, well, obviously I'm going to have to go to grad school and actually I want my PhD. So I'm going to go all the way because I want people to listen to when I, when I make a statement um, and I know it to be true. I really want um, my words to be powerful and have an impact on um, as much as possible to try to liberate people and to heal people. So um, that's kind of what got me um, to go back to school. And um, so I was really, I was like, okay, now I'm going to specialize, you know, I'm going to learn everything that I can to do this like kind of rape recovery stuff. And so, <laughs> But I realized quickly that um, the programs are not necessarily designed to assist black women heal <laughs> at all. And um, I, I was like, it's OK. There's gaps in literature. I'll just create my own study. And I was in a sexuality school in Amsterdam and I brought it to a leading my research proposal to a leading sexuality researcher and she. <laughs> She basically was like, oh, black men rape. And I was like, what? That's not what I'm talking. I'm talking about healing techniques of black women. 
And I was like, oh, okay, you know what? I'm going to scratch this entire research project because this is what can happen when media gets on, um, would get on like my words, they would distort it or, you know, there's something there's, they want to, sometimes you sensationalize, like sometimes what the scientists actually say is not what, how the media makes these studies out to be because we're very like trained to be specific with like how we share with or create knowledge basically but it gets it gets sensationalized and and I definitely what didn't want to be a part of perpetuating negative stereotypes at all so um I just let go my reason that I thought I was going to school and I also had to do a lot of self-reflection because I do think like I had this thing like I wanted to kind of save the world. I really wanted to help people. And I realized how problematic that was because people are, you know, they're healing themselves and it's going to be, you know, what they really need will be generated from the inside and not necessarily (laughs) from the outside. And um, yeah, so then I, and, and a lot of other like really traumatic uh, experiences in the academy that really had me um, let go of um, that direction and um, to pursue that direction. And um, I just was uh, got, you know, um, I was reading African Sexualities, a reader, and I came across a sex positive chapter on oceanality. And I just fell in love with the way they talked about um, sex and the vagina um, specifically the devouring vagina that um, talks about engulfing and surrounding the penis and having the penis uh, get swallowed and pulling out is seen as an act of resistance, but it's really the efforts are fertile because the seed gets pulled by the demanding vagina. <laughs> and I read that and I was like, mm, that's that's different. You know, I was like, damn, actually, I've never even thought of it like that. And I've just kind of taken for granted these like Western narratives of sex where the penis is going to conquer the vagina. And like, you know, it's in our language, like beat it up and hit it. And and in, in Jamaica, there's a oh, my gosh, <laughs> there's oh, even more ways. <laughs> That it comes out and even looking at like the root word, like what, um, how vagina is translated and I believe it's Latin, it's like sword holder or sheath or something. So anyways, I was like very drawn to this concept of oceanality, which um, is stems from like Yoruba out of modern day Nigeria Um history and spiritualities and philosophies that had no, it had nothing to do with how we understood love, eroticism, the black woman, the body, um, the mind and sex. It was more like communal and like fulfillment. I mean, there was so, the emphases were so um, different and it was something that I never really heard of. And it came out, I think, around 2010 that's when I kind of came to it and I was like you know what (laughs) I think this is it (laughs) this is this something that really got me going that I had to like it was so deep I read it over and over and over again I was like 
this is my new topic. And I just dedicated the rest of my academic scholarship to learning more about it. And so, yeah, that's how I got my specialized, my, you know, designed my Ph.D. Uh, research to explore oceanality and how it can emancipate myself. Because I was also really on to grew up on Bob Marley and really influenced by um, Marcus Garvey's work. And in particular, I want to shout out his second wife, Amy Jacques Garvey. Um, I also um, really was able to um, study her in my African-centered social work studies. But anyways, it was just a way that I could like, I was like, wanted to, I saw that the field was being really stagnant. Like, what's new? You know, what's fresh? Like, it's all these, it's been white men talking about things. And then women started talking about the clitoris and, you know, other things. And, and then, yeah, but it was still, there was something, you know, but where's all of, where, where is me in this? Where is, where's black liberation in this? Um, yeah. Anyway, so that's kind of, I just, I just got really geeked out. <laughs> um, I mean, please be as geeky as you want to be. It's, it's wonderful to listen to. That was quite an answer. Oh yes. Because uh, you, you were, it's obvious that you were so passionate about your field and I feel as if when a lot of people are in academia, it can either be super passionate or not. And it is obvious that you're yeah. definitely falling on the side of, I am absolutely passionate about this. This is definitely what I want to be doing, where I need to be in my life. I just want to say I was like enthralled and listening the whole time. But then once the, the vagina devouring the penis section, I hit the voice with it too. For a second, it just like wiped out the, the previous ten minutes. It's like, wait, I just got stuck yeah. on that. Yeah, yeah. Wait, what, what was other friends talking about again? They, they were talking like, about the vagina devouring the penis, and I was that's, like, uh, that's, but yes. that it got yeah. me too. Like that got me. Like when I, that's what I'm saying. Like when I read about the devouring vagina, I had to read that over and over and over again. And even now, I feel like reading you the direct quotes from it because it's so amazing, and it just. It's one of those things that it, it it expands my mind. And once your mind is expanded, it's hard to go back to old dimensions. And it's one of those things that it like can it also made me question like everything that I ever learned before. And it also was it just there was something that spoke to my truth, to my embodied wisdom around it, even if it was really foreign. So, yeah, it just definitely hit me. And I was like, I want to I want to know more yeah. about that. And, yeah, and that was under that oceanality, down. correct? Yes, this is this is um yep, it's oceanality, and they talk about sexu- ancient sexuality schools, which I also didn't really know about. I didn't never learned about you know all of our founding fathers and sexology or these white men from Europe and maybe some few yeah. Americans, and I'm like, yes. but like, and it completely leaves out like rich asian sexuality wisdom and hello like ancient african wisdom you know it's even the history of how uh, it definitely didn't start with slavery you know and i just had so much to unlearn and there's so much rich stuff and and it was like even studying black sexuality it was like the europeans came to africa and saw the lewdness you know there's this like inherent bias in the way that they were projecting their Victorian values onto like 
black bodies that had they don't think of breasts in the same way that you do. They don't think of dancing in the same way that you do, you know, so it was and then all of the and then slavery, you know, and it like and trauma like and and that. <laughs> oh, yeah. So it's 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 a lot. And I um I was I was really upset learning about like Ma'afa, really upset learning about slavery. Like it was pretty it's pretty disturbing. And and there was like definitely sexual components like hello, people were being raped and like trigger warning, you know, like I can't even talk about this without tra- like you know, and even what they did to men, to children, like breed, like the more I learned about it, it was like, wow, you know. Um, anyway, so I just wanted to, I got real clear, like I want to undo this. Like I, there's so much healing, and we have the right to know ourselves outside of all of the lies that we've been told. And not to say that they're lies; they just are not necessarily my truth. They don't necessarily contribute to my liberation. So. You know, do I really have to and buy that? Oh, yeah, that's right. They've It's been like conditioned within us. And there was just so much that I had to unlearn to really be able to free myself and to like even get to the heart of authenticity and like freedom. Like I, I actually. Yeah. OK. And then I was like, I brought up Marcus Garvey and Bob Marley to say to, you know, emancipate ourselves from mental slavery and to really take responsibility for my own emancipation. And in particular, you know, whether that's emotional emancipation, mental emancipation, erotic emancipation, you know, there's so many aspects that have been captive to mentalities and knowledge systems that are not designed for our liberation. Oh, absolutely. For decolonial eroticologists. So that definitely ties into all of this. Yeah. Learning about being, learning about all of this and then into your, I mean, you, so you're a sexuality educator, you're a sexosopher, you're a sexologist, you're a social worker, you're a, there, there's a lot of things that you do that you have learned about through your journey in learning about human sexuality and learning about, you know, the history of black and brown bodies on this planet. So I definitely appreciate the fact that you've been able to identify these different (laughs) points and touch on them and be able to study them in a way that definitely helps all of us, I think, to get to a point where we understand where we come from and where we plan to move forward. Sankofa. I also love the motivation where, you know, you set out just trying to help some people and you found that some lack of qualifications that was told to you was a problem. And that was your motivation from there to be like, you know what, you're never going to be told that, you know, you're never qualified again. Like that one quote really stuck with me, even after the devouring vagina part. (laughs) That was still in my head. It was like, yeah, I, I love that as a motivation. <laughs> like, you know what? Yeah, nothing's I, gonna stop me from now on. That's 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 a good reason to have three degrees. I will I will say that. And like I I one of the lessons was like in in learning about like liberation or my commitment to black liberation. I realized that I needed to like like before I want to liberate others, I want to make sure that I'm 
um, myself am liberated. You know, before I want to, you know, research others, I want to make sure that I, you know, it's just t- kind of taking responsibility and also just remembering where where I came from and, and knowing my ancestry and my lineage and, um, you know, asking my father and my grandmother in Jamaica about, you know, how far back they can go. And, and they, they, they could name up to the person that got emancipated and, you know, no, and like even learning about my great grandmother and like what she had to go through and, you know, she wasn't able to have an education because she was, you know, whatever, taking care of her children and, you know, surviving out there and really challenging conditions. And um, so I really, it's not just, it's not just for me, like this is for my ancestors. This is like being able to go at this level is breaking, you know, it's opportunities that were never afforded to previous generations, let alone that we were, I, you know, really recognized in studying history that you know, someone's like, what time would you like to have been born? Not time, but like area of the, in any history, I was like, I'm good with when I was born. And let me take advantage of that because I was able to go to school and I had, I had the, um, the privilege to do so. So I took it seriously and recognized that others paved the way for me to be able to do this, like really a lot, just grounded in in my ancestral heritage was really also a part of it, you know, to be able to make my grandparents proud and say that, you know, their granddaughter has a PhD um, is was something um, important to me as well. So, yeah, it was a little personally, you know, it's like wanted that for myself. But knowing myself, I understand that I'm connected to my ancestry. So, and you just wanting to enrich your own life. Now you're enriching others' lives. <laughs> Look at that. I try. I'm trying. Yeah, I think it's also really getting clarity around what is your purpose, and you know, what are you, what are you here on earth to do, and legacy, and you know, finding your your strengths and your talents to be able to contribute to community and and the ways that. Um, can be fulfilling for you is what I'm, you know, I've been thinking about and, and um, searching for. And um, so, yeah, just continuing to align with my purpose. And I, that's, that's it. This is where I'm at. Like, this is, this is what I manifested. I created that um, for myself, um, but also in hopes of uh, making a positive impact on, on my community and hopefully whoever, whoever wants it. <laughs> I mean, we want it. So there's that. Like, I mean, we want it. <laughs> the abundance of love, like the abundance consciousness, like that's a part of like I had to let go of that scarcity model, and I think that's also how it ties into non-monogamies and just like you know, people, you know, there was just to follow these very restrictive. Um, expectations of of um, monogamy and whatever heterosexuality or whatever was it's a uh, it's a lot of it's a lot to expect of a human. <laughs> and when I was looking oh, at it, and when I'm looking at like authentic ways of being and loving and 
seeing, you know, knowing that my grandparents loved each other, even though by the time I was born, they had, they both had, were in other marriages and um, I, I knew they still loved each other, but I also knew that they loved their, their spouse that they were with. So, and my parents were never married, but, and I have a half brother and, you know, I've, it was never, I never doubted the love that my ancestry or my, the people, my lineage had for each other, even though what I was seeing is them really loving other people. So I don't know, it was just very clear that um, the restrictions don't, um, shouldn't devalue someone and, and love is so powerful and, um, why, I don't know, just like why restrict it? Absolutely understand. Why should you restrict love in that way? You are absolutely right. It is one of those things that I feel like we are to figure out in the best way we are meant to do that at the people who are living and loving in monogamous spaces. It turns into a situation where they feel as if they have the right of way and the justification and that they are they're the only ones who are meant to live and love in this way. And I feel as if once we acknowledge that our ancestors and our family, like I mean like my family also comes from a similar space where my father's father was married to another woman, aside from my grandmother. And then, you know, he and my grandmother had kids together. He was in the grandchildren's in a certain way. But how do you reconcile that with the fact that the side tells you to be monogamous? You know what I mean? And so how how are you really at this space and being able to fully acknowledge how we are and where we are in our relationships and in our families and how our lives are set up it definitely gives a freedom in a sense once we are able to open who we are we're doing for our ancestors in my opinion yeah I just want our to to lean into our freedom to choose whether we choose monogamy or non-monogamy like that should be in our freedom and and recognizing that different people you know have different needs and um, different desires and dis- different aspirations. And there's a lot of different people out there. And then there's a lot of different scenarios and, you know, there's different moments in your life. And um, yeah, I don't, I don't, um, I kind of release the, the judgment and really embrace the freedom and also responsibility and, you know, not to do harm or anything, but, um, I've really been inspired by this concept out of the Zapatista movement in Mexico called the Pluriverse that speaks to that there are multiple worlds that can exist simultaneously without hierarchy. And, um, you know, even sharing, you know, around oceanality and African paradigms, it's not to like say, oh, this is better than like the Western you know, like Western philosophy will have you thinking like there's a right and a wrong and the, and whiteness is the best and the beauty and like, but I, that didn't, that doesn't, that's, 
that's one perspective. Let me just say it like that. And there are multiple perspectives. And I'm not, I, I don't have the audacity to just say what's right or wrong for you, but I know what's what feels right for me. And um, yeah, just kind of like respect, <laughs> respecting people and that people love in different ways, have different capacities and what's have to heal their trauma in different ways and are authentic in different ways. And like, I don't, I don't know, I love love and I love supporting people living their best life. And I get a lot of compersion when I see black joy and um and people that it's so beautiful when people love each other and are able to rise in love I I moved away from falling love falling but like rising in love and connecting in love and um liberating each other through love I I, I love that love decolonial love <laughs> let's add that one to my list. Yeah. Uh, you're now not you're no longer falling in love, you're rising Fall in love. Like that one. Yeah. But I mean there there's also the point that um the act of black love is an act of resistance mm-hmm. in how we look at this world and how we move through this world. Black love is resistance. And being able to be a black person and be in love rising in love as opposed to falling in love but just being in love and being able to express your true self in a way through love is definitely an act of resistance and an you know an act of colonial resistance in the way that we know and as much as we accept how our world is going knowing and acknowledging that this is something that is not allowed or accepted, quote amongst mm-hmm. our people, is something that I feel like we should take pride in and take, maybe not pride, maybe pride is not the word, take and have understanding for each other. That should also be the way to acceptance. And I don't know, I feel like I'm just saying a lot of words that yeah, make no, no sense, mm-hmm. but they're making yeah. sense. They're making sense. Okay. I, I had to like release the pathology because I feel like even like in America you know there was I there I got the vibe like oh my gosh your parents aren't married are they divorced oh you poor child like and then I go to Jamaica I was like they're like do you have parents your parents are alive you good you know like it was just like (laughs) what was a problem one place was not a problem another place and I could see how like I could start I could get gaslit into thinking that there was something wrong with me if I was only exposed to one one way, one value system. And like, I'm just so grateful that I was able to like, at least recognize that there are multiple value systems. So, well, how I navigated that was just kind of choosing which ones felt the most truthful to me or just being able to, depending on where, what my context was, adapt, adapt accordingly uh for safety purposes to survive but i mean absolutely just like our existence is resistance especially when there are really limited messaging around this is how you have to behave this is how you have to love this is you know you can only marry this type of person and 
you know, looking at the history, it's like at some point they didn't allow black folks to marry each other in the United States. And at some point they didn't allow, I don't know. There's just like, I'm like, I don't know. It may, it, it, it really to, to perpetuate and we ca- call this, um, settler sexuality and like looking at how, um, the colonial project really went to try to control like the nuclear family. When I feel like a lot of African, first of all, like what is family? I feel like, um, melanated folks have a more expansive definition of that. You know, like extended family or just even how we choose, we can, you know, choose like my brother, you know, like our families are way more expansive than just like, I don't know. It's just and even blended all the things like family can be so expansive and even recognizing even what's an what's a cousin and an auntie and an uncle like that can be nuanced, too. And. I don't know how I got on this, but I'm just saying like diversity is popping off and I had to release the shame because my family looked different than what you thought my family should look like. And I'm going to I'm okay. So you telling me I shouldn't be okay is highly problematic. So I got to release that and live my best life, regardless of what you think you're projecting onto my body, my experience, my culture. And um, we have the right to love. OK, we got a right to um, that to pleasure and we have the right to black joy. So <laughs> that's my opinion. Yeah, it doesn't matter how we got here because we got somewhere good. So whatever different routes we took to get here, it doesn't matter. You know, what you said before, let me think about it, because you both kind of talked about your families or I mean, we all have the same kind of family where it's just like, you know, the the main family, but then sometimes there's a side family. And it makes me wonder, because you were talking about decolonization earlier, and I'm wondering if it's like, is there a culture that we inherently have, but we're trying to express it through the, col- like the colonized version of family? So, like, one thing we always say on this podcast is that how there will, there's a lot of like cheating is a big thing in Jamaica, but there's a lot of like understood cheating where it's just like you have your your main, but then you have the side. You got and then the they'll both know about each other. Yeah, and but a lot of times they will know about each other and everyone is consenting. But for some reason it has to be um interpreted as cheating because I don't know if that's the colonization part. Like no no, this is cheating. That's 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 how this is. As much as, yeah, I know I have a matey, but it's fine. You know, once you do disrespect me, it's fine. I was like, technically, this could be something else, but I feel like that could be an example of, like, we're trying to make this fit in a colonized version of relationships. So, you know, just what you were talking about before, that's really made me think about that. Cause we always talk about that kind of, like, relationship that's so common in Jamaica and in America, yeah. too, I thought, in, in some cases. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And dive in just one second because I had a conversation with um, Megan from the Megan and Yuri where I told them that I believe that non-monogamy the way that we've put it and you know the, the current term is just inherent to 
Black Caribbean culture. And why I feel that way is we have all, not monogamy in the sense where we've always sought outside sources to build a family in a So there's always, in my opinion, been this sort of aspect to family and to relationships that have existed that we do not allow ourselves to explore under the guise of, you know, colonialism, et cetera, as we also understand it in that way. So for me, I was kind of like, yeah, if you, and if you were trying to get, if you're trying to have a religious instruction, you go to a priest, you go to a church, you go to religious instruction in that way. However, there is this idea that monogamy and relationships mean that you have one person satisfying every single need that you have. Friendship, <laughs> religious instruction, <laughs> and going going through in that way. And that I feel as if we are stifling ourselves as a people by not allowing ourselves to entrust in the community we have through religion, through, you know, family, extended family as it relates to cousins, aunties, friends who can navigate these sorts of spaces. And that's the kind of conversation I had with them that I kind of hear into this moment and how non-monogamy fits into that because yes we have quote-unquote accepted cheating in Jamaica <laughs> and I mean of course in other cultures as well but we are Jamaican and so we're talking about it from a Jamaican aspect where you have a man who can have three women who have kids for him in the exact same street in the exact same neighborhood on the exact same street and somehow we are all okay with this but let it be known that he publicly was like yes all three of these women are my wives and these three women were like yes we are all his wives it turns into a whole separate thing so that's that's the kind of yeah i was looking at it from if that makes sense to you guys yeah i think um you know i i just think about history and how we've you know had to had to survive in certain climates and so there is um, you know, politics of respectability, and there has been, you know, a, a different set of eth- eth- ethics, um, values, and I think that, um, you know, Jamaica is a very Jamaicans and Africans are tend to be, without generalizing everybody, but a highly spiritual people, and um, Christianity has a may a very uh strong influence on 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 the culture and um and yeah even jealousy being socially sanctioned um and i think just it kind of just got into a certain yeah it's hard because it's like there's the there's the values, but they might not align with the behavior. And there's what's what there's what's done on the streets, and then there's what's done on the sh- in the sheets. Like there's certain people that are doing certain sexual behaviors, but they're not necessarily talking about it um, or sharing that. There's that there's that 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 there's still privacy, but then. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, it gets complicated quickly. And um, there's a lot of there. I, I 
there's a lot of potential and there's a lot of trends, but it, you know, it goes, it goes, uh, it just goes so deep. Like we're talking about Gallus and like Jamaican masculinity. Um, there are just, you know, just passions and feelings and, you know, just, uh, there's so many different scenarios that go on. <laughs> <laughs> and people find themselves in different situations and um and then there's laws and there's regulations and there's expectations and there's human behavior all this to say is like i would love to see different possibilities available to lean into what true emancipation could look like and to free up or um lean into diversifying um, relationship structures that are available for people to live their life authentically and to also make more room for radical honesty and um, accepting, you know, kind of accepting people for who they are. But there's also a lot of healing and there's, you know, violence and intimate partner violence and poverty. Like it's, it, it, there's, housing issues, there's resource issues that also play a role in um, in the availability of certain, um, this how people can be safe in living their life authentically, I guess. But yeah, I mean, just to have the freedom to be able to um, manifest a uh, relationships that work really well for you and um yeah I mean yeah I mean it's so deep I think about there's men with multiple um you know having children with multiple women and there's also women who have had children with multiple men and um you know that can be navigated in different ways they're just I wish there was more support for diverse families to support each other and share um, resources in a way that could really up, uplift our our people. Yeah, definitely. There's also a lot of healing and a lot of pain, and there's a lot of well, lies. <laughs> and 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 then there's like people who have personalities like you know when you do me me I do you back <laughs> like I'm gonna yep. do, you know what you do to me like I'm gonna I can do that shit too. Oh, I'm Definitely. sorry. I'm <laughs> we we are happy cursing podcast here okay. because I curse all the time so okay. you you are fine. <laughs> Channel, did we cover all the hats? So many different. No, no, they had so many. They they had a lot yeah. of different hats. Yeah, they. And um, I guess the point about the hats is like it depends on like I what is like first of all, there's a lot of different sexologists. Like there's a lot of different cooks. You know, you 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 kind of lean into your niche or like what you um specialize in or your your areas that you're most interested in that you've had a chance to really kind of explore. So I kind of stay in my lane, if you know what I mean. I mean, I have people that want to talk about things that they have no qualifications to talk about. And I'm not saying it's about qualifications, but like how deep have you thought about it to be an authority around speaking on it? 
I don't know how I got to this point, but I do have different hats and I like to, it depends on like what my mission is. Like if I'm in a classroom or if I'm in a therapy session or, you know, like here I can, you know, I don't know, I'm going to be Jamaican and I can talk about different, you know, I just contribute my experience and what I've studied and what I learned and, um, yeah, different people have different specialties. I don't even like that word. But yeah, I mean, I kind of get creative linguistically because a lot of times I say sexologist and people just jump to sex. Like a lot of times people think of polyamory, they just like think of the sex part. But I think of sexuality as relationality and relate relationships and like there's so many different components to that. And um, all that to say is there's a, it, the more I know, the more I realize how much I don't know. And it's being able to study sexuality for now full time for over probably 15 years, I have come to collect wisdom that I that may or may not be applicable to people, but I'd like to share in certain ways. Um, And so that's kind of just kind of also sharing that we're not a monolith, not all, we're not all the same. There's so many different types of people. And um, I kind of like to use language to describe um, once I get to a point in having explored a certain topic deeply to be able to name it and claim it um, using self-determination. So like studying Audre Lorde's um, power of the erotic and um, African eroticism, I realized that my the way I've studied eroticism, okay, I, I feel comfortable claiming eroticologist um, to know eroticism outside of white ways of knowing eroticism. It's not necessarily pornographic, although that that is certainly a perspective. All that to say is um, that we all have our inner genius. And um, I think that um, it's nice when you're able to nurture and and pursue your intellectual curiosity to really lean into your um, passions. And that looks different for different people. And here I am. Yes, you've done so much nurturing. I think you well, you've gone that like way past nurturing. You know, you've you've raised you've raised that passion and grown it into a full grown, you know, lifestyle. And, and I, I respect it. I love it. Okay. Absolutely. So um, let's talk a bit about your work with the non monogamous community. You know, polyamorous people, open relationships, et cetera, et cetera. Um, in your space as like a sexuality educator sexosopher therapist you work with non-monogamous pretty often correct yeah so even thinking about my approach to education I always thought about what if my students were non-monogamous and also I was able to train a lot of um, but uh, master's level counselors and um, future therapists and so I always made sure to include for the most part um 
advocating for how they could, um, first of all, be exposed to non-monogamies, even though it wasn't necessarily in the curriculum that I was supposed to teach. I did always want to make sure that my students had some type of awareness of it. So if they would find a client with the with that kind of um, love style or relationship structure, that they would be not less likely of inflicting harm. And because of the um, way that a lot of the field was designed, it really had monogamy and um, at the center and uh, created a lot of assumptions and theories that really were designed for a, a white heterosexual monogamous couples when really there's more <laughs> there's more to it. So, um, yeah, just even training training um, clinicians to do less harm to people who practice non-monogamies and then also just like um, advocacy work and um, just even how I how I show up just wanting to be able to support um, the m- multiply marginalized populations and um, people who you know because of um, the the epistemic violence or the um, way that knowledge production has been uh, really designed for specific people at the expense of other ways of knowing has consequences in our approach to um, therapies and um, you know people a lot of times they'll say oh we're LGBTQ friendly but they might not have really done the work to um, check out why it may be problematic to use a certain approach or to um, have different language that can be offensive or there's just a lot of really special considerations to consider when um, working with diverse populations. And so I really dedicated a lot of my studies and um, efforts to um, share information around how to better serve diverse populations, especially populations who have been marginalized. And, you know, non-monogamies are not yet legal in the United States. <laughs> um, and uh, so there, that comes with a bunch of oppressive situations. Um, and it's not necessarily safe for people to be authentic or to be out and um, and so really actually just even thinking critically around what is safe space because it's safe for who, you know, you want to say that it's safe or this is really inclusive, inclusive for who, you know, because when I really look into that and considering structural racism and um, poly negativity and, you know, <laughs> However, I forget about the fancy words that there are people that are discriminated for how they love. And this is ingrained into society and laws. And so um, I do what I can to advocate the best that I can, whether that's um, just sharing um, to people about the realities of what um, what certain um, people who have not who live non-monogamy uh, the challenges that they can face and the barriers that are put in place um, and the structure and really most so like increasing awareness of the structural oppression and the different types of violence 
um, that is perpetuated against people who have um, non uh, just live their life outside of um, monogamy and um, yeah, so whether that's housing or parent parental rights, um, there's so many issues that um, that can come up, and so for me, just um, <laughs> the part of part of my work is um, education and also providing um, just more spaces to have um, radically honest conversation and to um, increase awareness um, to lay the foundation and groundwork for decreasing the harm that can be done on um, individuals. So, you know, that looks different in different formats and it just depends on where I am. But like, you know, if I'm in the classroom, I'm going to bring out, I'm going to say, you know, you know, you say partner, but maybe you're, you have an assumption in there and, and in the way that you ask questions that could really shut people down or, or not make it so that they can open up or work on issues that are really important for them. So in my commitment to black liberation, I want to make sure that that covers all types of black people, regardless of what, um, how they love or how many people they, um, are choosing to love in a moment or, or however, however that looks. Um, and there's a lot of work to be done and this is very dangerous work. Um, I just have to <laughs> have to say that and, you know, I have to be careful around, you know, what I say and what I reveal. And um, because that uh, a lot of people um, get harmed by, can there's there's that it's risky because it's not legal yet that 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 there's subject to there's there's no there's no protections if you get sick in the hospital you know there's just certain things that um are not available to um those that are practicing non-monogamies and thinking about different possibilities and navigating a really hostile environment that has not really respected diversity and inclusion, if that's what they're going for, um, and just kind of holding people accountable for people who want to start talking that talk. You know, like you think you think you think this is a safe space. Well, let me tell you, for trans folks, this is not really safe because it's just sexist. For for non-monogamy folks, this is definitely not safe because of X, Y, and Z. So just like keep increasing the awareness to try to align, you know, because a lot of people do mean well and they think that they're open minded and they think that they're inclusive. So it's just kind of like continuing to expand their awareness and really trying to like do less harm. But people don't even realize how they're harming or pre even preventing liberation. Uh, to, to me, it's it's um, all part of the work. So, yeah, I'm I join. I'm a part of. um relationship equity foundation i'm on the board of that and you know they they have a conference um atlanta um, poly atlanta poly poly atlanta okay i'm messing that word up but there's conferences um you know educational programming and um, advocacy work and you know uh, networking with lawyers and we're really excited about the um somerville case that um, I don't know if you heard of in Massachusetts recently that um, I think it's decriminalized to be able to have to for 
non-monogamy people to live together or you know there's still like can we can the triad adopt their children i know there's just so many issues related to family housing law businesses health um marriage just that still needs a lot of work and so oh yeah <laughs> so many of these things are interesting. We understand. Listen. Uh, yeah. It makes sense now, but I was like, oh, right. Yeah, if you are in a relationship, you would like to be able to see them in a, in a hospital or so on, but you can only have one. So it's like, oh, right. All these little things that you don't think about, but yeah. But you're on the trenches, yeah. so you know them very, very well. Well, that's learn about it. It's one of the things that the Somerville case brought up, right, where they had allowed this sort of, um, so we we talked about it like about a month ago, where we talked about Somerville having this thing where they've allowed like multiple people to register in a relationship situation in Somerville, Massachusetts. So I don't know how that's going to play out, obviously, in real life. I'm not sure how it is playing out in real life. But one would think that once you've allowed this domestic partnership situation to include more than two people, that that means that they would have the exact same, you know, hospital visits like you discussed and all those things in this space. But if they do not, and it is just, you know, this sort of idea on paper, like we have said, and not really identifying the full breadth of what is required in true acknowledgement of you know non-monogamous partnerships then what is that really like does it is it does it make sense to celebrate this move that they did i i i'm celebrating it because it could i i see it being a potential case you know somerville is situated in you know it's near cambridge it's near you know just like it you know, and then if they move in a different city, could, would they still, you know, like there just could be, it could spark something. And also just having that case can also le- have a blueprint. You know, someone's got to start somewhere. And a lot of these legal uh, protections is like, you know, don't, and even in, in, in employment, you know, you're not, we're not safe from not getting fired because you're non-monogamous. That's not in any clauses. You're protected based off of your religion, your sex, your gender, your sexual orientation. But no, I don't, I'm not seeing language that says sexual uh, relationship structure yet, like being protected based off of relationship structure. However, there are, um, you know, there are starting to be um, different um, municipalities or areas that are starting to introduce that language. And I think that's going to be really pivotal, uh, really important in providing protection for um, non-monogamies. But until that language is is um, introduced and until we have more examples of it, it's hard to say. And this could really just be a one case, one time thing. Um, but it does break precedent and in the history of the United States. And Massachusetts has also broken a lot of, um, has been a lot of firsts for other cases, whether, I don't even, I'm not a lawyer expert, but even like same-sex marriage, you know, at some point it, or it starts somewhere, or even like decriminalizing um, cannabis. Like 
it starts somewhere and then other places um, see how it goes and see if it may um, work for them. So we're celebrating it, but we're waiting up, waiting a bit before we tell everybody to move there at once. So like, <laughs> yeah. want to see how see if it works first before That's we true. make it into the uh, the utopia. Yeah. And you know, sometimes it it takes you know just because the law is there, it takes a while to um you know implement and there's there's really it's it's also about the structural support that's not in place in a lot of these um areas let alone the cultural support you know like support has to be dynamic as well to um for sustainability but you got to start somewhere so i was certainly happy about the news um yeah and it gives me a little hope for things to move in a different direction than, than not being stagnant in an oppressive, depressive situation. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely what we do not want. We do not want an oppressive, depressive situation. So I, I want to throw something in here, which is like relevant, but not relevant. So when we're talking about doing harm and therapists doing harm through, you know, not acknowledging and understanding non-monogamous situations, my therapist is actually the one that turned me on to Dr. Clark and Dr. Clark's work. So I vaguely knew that Dr. Clark existed. And so when I came out to my therapist as non-monogamous, they were like, well, have you looked at, you know, this American sexosopher? And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. So probably not. <laughs> and they let me know like, oh, no, 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 you need to look at their work. If you are non-monogamous, this is the person that you need to be looking at because their work is definitely helping to propel, like propel, but, you know, to give an understanding to non-monogamy and polyamory that is not currently out there in the world right now. And so when I... When, when I reached out to Dr. Clark and was kind of like, hey, I want you to be on the podcast. My therapist told me about you. They were like, ah, who's your therapist? And I was like, this is my therapist. They've told me everything I need to know. They're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, what you mentioned here, first of all, yeah, shout out people in therapy, shout out therapists who are able to um, make referrals when appropriate. Like sometimes, you know, we have the we have our our skill set and we have our areas that we are able to best serve our clients and when and sometimes there are clients that we whether it's our bias or you know our trauma that we're not able to really serve them effectively so this self reflexive radical honesty is really important in um following code of ethics which also um, you know, different different um, professionals have followed different codes of ethics, but I'm pretty sure in most of them it has it alludes to not perpetuating and doing harm. And so, in your commitment to not doing harm, sometimes you have to to know what your limitations are. And sometimes we think we're open minded. And we we you know we want to serve, and or for whatever reasons we don't necessarily can we don't have the privilege of choosing. But it is really important to um, know your biases and your limitations and to um, to refer out when when possible or just say, hey, you know, 
provide share resources and um you know learn yeah yeah just yeah the radical honesty piece and like um being able to support people I really that's a part of the the work and like I mean I I have racist students I have homophobic students and I'm like there's only so much that I'm going to be able to teach you in a semester let's just be real here and so like just recognize the bias and when you really can't help but like to pathologize a person perhaps it may not be the best type of clientele that you will really facilitate and encourage their healing um because we, you know we're here we got we got a lot <laughs> there's a lot of healing that in my opinion needs to happen and when people want to get want to choose what they think it, you need to heal it's that that's not necessarily effective like i i believe in self determination and like when you're when you're ready to do the work when you're ready to heal you know you start tuning into that um healing intelligence inside you this is a part of my philosophy uh around around healing i mean i'm as a healer i'm not here i'm not going to like heal you out here but what I like to do is um, assist you along the healing journey, share with you different information that can support you um, move through really hard, challenging times or triggers or, you know, the quirkiness of our, our how we cope and respond to trauma and um, really tune into our embodied wisdom and our, and our ancestral wisdom that can really that can support us in our, our healing journey. And if I were to use my own language, I would um, refer to myself as a co-liberator as opposed to a therapist um, because I am committed to black liberation and I love assisting people um, decrease the distance towards liberation. And um, yeah, I'm still accepting clients. <laughs> So, you know, you can hit up my yeah. website if you're interested. How could you not want to be a client after hearing all of that? I mean, <laughs> right. Like, like, literally, I was just kind of like, so is it bad form <laughs> to ditch my own therapist to come to you <laughs> to talk about my shit? Like, I, yeah, I, I don't just, know. Like, I different, um, you know, you, you, I, some, um. Uh, my training will indicate that it is not professional to have multiple therapists at one time. However, I personally believe that it's okay to within circ you know, if your therapist know about it and if sometimes I have people that will work on specific issues with me, like, you know, because I specialize in sexual trauma and um that can be something that they work on with me because, you know, it requires a lot of work sometimes. And, um, you know, I have a different approach that, that is, that, um, that works with some people and other people don't, don't jive with it. You know, it's not, not every therapist is for every person. And sometimes you just kind of got to shop around and sometimes you just find a great therapist and, you know, you kind of work with them based off of what they can contribute to your healing. And then you may want to, yeah, I don't I don't necessarily I'm still in the abundance paradigm. I don't necessarily need to <laughs> like one for all. Kind of one thing. therapist to rule them all. Like, <laughs> like like in Lord yeah. of the Rings, it's one ring to rule them all. But in this case, it's one therapist to rule them yeah. all. 
Yeah, and I have to admit that it's controversial. So, you know, it's obviously people are going to have different opinions about that. And, you know, it's what people are comfortable with, too. So there's a lot of people different are complex. They're allowed to go to different people for different things. I mean, yeah. you don't want to, I mean, like your car needs more than one kind of mechanic. You mean a specialist sometimes. You could be the specialist. Yeah. Yes, that's right. I need a specialist. And Dr. Clark is now my new specialist. I have spoken this out there it is out there in the universe everyone is hearing this and so we all know that dr clark is my specialist and my my other therapist is not my specialist so here we are (laughs) oh yeah they have their own specialty and you know just (sighs) you have the right to heal and it is your responsibility to do the healing and you know, they're knowing about transgenerational trauma, it gets transmitted and there's still a lot of healing. Even if you manage to navigate your life without experiencing trauma, which by the way, there's a lot of collective traumas happening this year. So I don't know. I'm not sure. And, you know, to each its own, but I really want to just destigmatize, like getting your mental health in, in, in the best you know, just continuing to work on, I don't know, it, to me, it's like, you don't want to improve yourself, you don't want to, like, decrease citizens towards liberation, you don't want to, you know, but not everyone's ready for that, and you definitely want to be ready and committed and and invest in yourself and your well-being and your erotic <laughs> wellness as well as your yeah. mental wellness and your sexual wellness and your spiritual wellness and your social wellness like we are we have a lot of parts and like self-care and communal care and oh yeah there's so much that there's a lot of possibilities and sometimes we just we kind of limit ourselves and we can be subject to self-sabotaging behaviors and we can make assumptions that we have to be the same that we've always been instead of being open to new possibilities of creating and manifesting a life that we really want for ourselves and to you know pursue fulfillment and bring more moments of joy and pleasure into our life if there was ever a year to take care of your your mental wellness so this would be that year so you know take this as your signal <laughs> go get yourself uh, just just a little help or, or i like the way they put it year. just make yourself better yeah or just like you know, you like uh, man manifest your desires and take responsibility for your healing and your wellness and recognize that we are intradependent, that we are, um, many of us are collect are a part of a larger community. We get in these isolations and shelter in places like, dang, you know, we, we, we'd be thinking we were all out on our own, but in actuality we don't exist in a vacuum and that we are, um, a part of a collective. So yeah, just like, it's okay. And, you know, but there's so much trauma. It's okay. It's hard for a lot of people to ask for help. It's hard for a lot of people to um, admit that they're wrong or could do things better. But, um, you know, it depends on where your values are. And I value um, living my best life and uh, freedom and healing. So therapy is important for, for me. 
Yeah, I understand that. So what would you recommend to therapists to best help their non-monogamous patients? Like if you had to give like some bullet point tips, what would you say to a therapist who doesn't necessarily specialize in that field? Because I mean, I, I, we had a conversation with Ruby about, you know, some therapists, you know, being therapists, but not being able to really cover certain subsets of humans and materials in a certain way responsibly. It's probably the best way of putting it. So if you wanted to give some recommendations to people who were looking for therapists who are non-monogamous and you wanted those therapists to, you know, how would you best describe that relationship and the best like formats, I guess you could say, to help both sides of the equation? I encourage radical honesty and um, self-reflexivity and um, tuning into the, you know, not just centering your mind, but also the knowledge that can be found in your heart and your gut. And um, building relationships can be really important. And um, I think that um, asking clarifying questions and self-advocating for yourself is important uh, in in both directions and knowing you know on the therapist part I think that radical honesty is important even though we we have been trained to be like objective and you know kind of redirect it towards the client but um when you have when you have limitations, recognize that and do what you can to um, take responsibility for um, seeking additional um, knowledge and training. There are training programs now and there's a lot of information out there. So um, and then refer out like if you if it's if 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 you you know, I think that you have to be aware of your biases and your trauma. So like if you were really hurt by watching your father cheat on your mother, then, you know, you may not work well with certain populations, you know, just for example, you know, there's sometimes we have to be, or if you're going through a divorce yourself, like you may not want to be working with certain populations. And so really getting like no, no, not no shame or like no judgment around that. It's just leaning into like, really not doing harm. And, and I think for, um, I call my clients constituents or collaborators, but you know, people who are in therapy with therapists that, that, you know, if they say something that's offensive, or, you know, that rubs you the wrong way, um, I think it's good to call them out or call people in and um, uh, have radical uh, conversations and also recognize that there are other therapists now and there's other um, directories and there's more there's more of us out here that can do the work and um, don't necessarily give up if you've had really bad experiences because there are unfortunately like there are bad therapists or they're not necessarily bad in general but it just wasn't a good fit so um I kind of would encourage um listening 
for for therapists like really and we get trained in active listening but it's really to me I listen for you know listen in a very specific way and I also have developed like a liberation gaze and really kind of looking for where um, liberation potential can be ignited Um, but again everyone has their own um, approach and their own styles and um, I think that it's time for some values within our fields to be questioned so that we're able to um, provide really effective services that quite frankly may not be (laughs) evidence-based. I said it, you know, there are multiple ways that people heal and there are multiple um, wounds that require different healing techniques and be clear on what healing you specialize in and what you can provide. And also don't, don't, you know, don't be afraid to um, share your knowledge of other healing systems that may be, that may be beneficial to the client and not limit the client based off of your own um, limitations, I guess. See, that's very, very, very like, all that is amazing. <laughs> all of that was amazing. I got more. I'm just like, <laughs> you're like, I could keep going for like another 30 Girl. minutes. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> well, yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll leave it there. Like try not to do harm. Like, Radical honesty with yourself, at least, you know, we sometimes, you know, we got to be trauma informed. And there's so many really cool new modalities out there. Um, like I'm I'm really on to um, healing centered engagement. I'm really into uh, decolonial feminist community psychology. I learned so much from indigenous psychologies. I'm not just going, and I'm a social worker by training, so I also have a different perspective that it's not just solely mental or um, psychology-based, but also incorporating other factors. Um, Culture matters, and just because it's not in the DSM, that DSM doesn't recognize a lot of different kinds of traumas doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. And um, there are really serious reasons for why certain things are not more validated. (laughs) That's, that's, that's a good way of putting it more validated because there are a lot of things in the DSM. I mean, as, as who are we seeking validation from anyway? You know, it's just like, that's a whole thing. See, that's a whole separate thing. But of course we want to thank you for agreeing to be on this podcast and talk to us about your work and really having this competition engaging with us. Uh, where can people find you if they want to connect with you in this professional way and fill up your client roster? I can be found on my website, Zaleka.com. That's www.zelaika.com. Hopefully you can write it out so people can also see it. I was going to share yeah. with you all these nice words, but I'm, yeah, you can check me out on my website. Um, I have a free copy of my dissertation if you want to geek out and learn more about my um, work. And uh, yeah, some, some, yeah, there's some, there's some more information about me on my website and 
you can contact me through my website if you're interested in. I offer a free 20-minute consultation call to see if we'll be a good fit and uh, where I can assist you in your liberation journey. First taste is free. You guys know what's going on, free 20-minute consultation. So, again, once again, we want to thank you. Uh, We might bring you back, you know, in the future on the podcast, talk about more super important academic stuff. Of course it will. (laughs) Yeah, they got so much to say. So, once again, thank you so much for being here. And, uh, yeah, we just – it was an amazing conversation, and I feel liberated. Do you feel liberated, Jim? That's a tall order. I mean, and there's different moments. You can get moments of liberation out there. And I don't know if it's just like a destination, like all of a sudden I'm liberated in all aspects of the realms. But definitely I'm so um, inspired by um, this conversation and I'm so appreciative of um, you both for the work that you're doing. Thank you for being who you are and speaking your truth. And I want to shout out technology and the Internet and computers and our ancestors and all the things that I may not be able to see or recognize in um, us being able to have this conversation. So thank you for your time and um, sharing with me. Wow. Thank you so much. That, yeah. that means a lot coming from, from you. <laughs> it means a lot coming from me. Yeah. So thanks again. I would like to thank, on behalf of me and Jen, Dr. Clark, one last time for joining us, gracing us with their wonderful presence, and giving us a wonderful episode. Wasn't that a wonderful episode? And didn't I promise you get a whole lot of Jen? Was that enough, Jen? I don't know. There's never enough Jen. Anyway, you should know the drill by now. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, slash MonogamishPod. You can check us out at monogamishpod.com where we have the detailed show notes and it also has a link to our merch, which is where you can get t-shirts, I think there's a mask, maybe a mug, all sorts of good stuff. If you want better merch, let us know and we'll, we'll try to sort it out. You can also find us on Patreon. I believe you've got to ser- that type in patreon.com slash monogamishpod because you can't search us because we're too naughty apparently. And I think that's it. No, of course, rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, on Google Play, wherever you get your podcast from. Five stars. Let us know how you feel about the podcast and it helps people find us and, you know, get the word out that, hey, there's a great podcast here that they should be listening to. That's Monogamish Pod. Now, don't go anywhere yet because you've got to check out our friends over at Bright. That's right, Bright. They're a wonderful clothing line out of our homeland of Kingston, Jamaica, or just Jamaica. I'm not sure if they're from Kingston. But they've got wonderful, awesome designs with, you know, a little bit of a Jamaican flair. Even if you're not Jamaican, I think you should check them out because any shirt with some Jamaican flair is going to automatically make you cooler. So check them out at yatobright.com. That's Y-U-H-T-O-O. You should know it's spelled bright. Or you can check out the link on our website. That's yatobright.com. Use code monogamish to get 10% off because who doesn't want to save a little money right now? We're in, a, in the midst of <laughs> some serious problems in the world. So save 10% off. Get yourself some cool swag, some cool shirts and stuff over at yourtubebright.com. One last time, shout out our friends over at altplayground.net. That's it for us today. Thanks so much for rocking with us. So once more. I'm Jen. I'm Sham. And, and we're monogamous. We're monogamous. Thanks. I'll get to that in the